Back up, please. Hello and welcome to IndyCar's episode number 205. I'm your host, Aditya, and along with me, I have Abhishek. Hello, everyone. So, Modi is back from his Tri-Nation trip. He just went back from Canada, back to India. Apparently, it went very well, the tour, for not just Modi, but also the Prime Minister out here, who is supposedly going after the Indian vote in the upcoming election. They did sign a deal of Canada supplying certain amount of uranium to India, which is a product or a raw material for nuclear energy. In the nuclear program, well, talking about the nuclear programs, let's go directly into the topics that we have. The first one, which is the Iran nuclear deal that has just happened. Now, just to give you some background on it, on April 2nd, President Barack Obama, he announced, quote-unquote, a historic understanding has been reached with Iran, which, if fully implemented, will prevent it from obtaining a nuclear weapon. And he also said that if this framework leads to a final comprehensive deal, it will make our countries, our allies, and our world a safer place. American presidents... Talk like American presidents in the movies. But he is quite right though this time. So yes, after many, many nights of intense negotiations, there has been some sort of a framework that has been agreed between Iran and the US. Yeah, so the other important thing out here is that it's not just US. So the negotiating parties are Iran on one side. And what they are calling it as P5 plus 1 as a group on the other side. So P5 means the permanent members of the UN Security Council, which is China, France, Russia, UK, and United States, plus one is Germany. All right, these guys had imposed these economic sanctions. Yes, but you would think on one side, Iran is doing so well. It holds 10% of the world's oil reserves. It's number four in terms of rankings of oil suppliers, one-fifth of the world's gas reserves, second only to Russia, the world's 18th largest economy, inflation is down to 17% from 40%. So what's wrong? So it seems to be a country which is doing well, but it's oil fields, just like you can't do too much farming on the same soil. Similarly, these oil fields that they have, they've been in use for more than 50 years and they need rehabilitation. You have this uh, natural gas. It has to be converted into liquid form for it to be transported or shipped through canals. They don't have the technology to do it. One of the guys who uh, was part of the team which did these sanctions, right, which designed these sanctions against Iran, that guy says Iran will need up to 50 to 100 billion dollars of investment from foreign firms to, to boost output and oil. We've been reading about how the oil prices have been declining, plummeted rather in the last 8-10 months. 42% of the government's revenues depend on oil. So Wow. Yeah, so they used to pump 6 million barrels of oil every day back in 1974, then 4.5 million 10 years back. Now it's only 2.8. So all in all, Iran said, all right, it's a good time to talk. And their president, Hassan Rouhani, he's said to be a moderate president who knows the importance of foreign direct investments. And he was part of Iran's nuclear negotiation team 10 years back. So he's walked up the ranks and he's willing to talk. That's that's the background. So an important thing here is that this is just a framework that has been agreed to. Okay, Framework, Boleto, they have identified certain points that they want to negotiate on and even the other party is willing to negotiate on. And they have set themselves a deadline of 30th June to reach a, a deal. So they are going to be discussing on on a few points. 
A few of those points include things like, you know, halting enrichment of uranium and disable the configuration of all the centrifuges. And that's uh, that's a lot because they had some 19,000 enrichment centrifuges and they are willing to get it down to 5,000. Even in these 5,000 centrifuges that will be operational, uh, they will only use first generation technology and not the advanced ones for the next 10 years. So like Windows XP, you don't have, yeah. And even, even any R&D that they do, of coming up with newer models, they will have to have a green light from the IAEA. Yeah. So, so basic idea here is to limit their technical uh, advancement, to halt uranium enrichment, and also not allow them to construct any more enrichment facilities. Oh, yes. And there's one in Fordow. Now, that thing is buried deep into a Below. mountain. Into a mountain, yeah. <laughs> Impregnable to airstrikes, which they believe Israel is capable of. And they've been asked to convert that into a physics research center. And that thing not should not produce any fissile material, that is, any nuclear-related material for the next 15 years. So what this will do is that Iran can only use nuclear facilities for civil purposes, that is, for generation of electricity, etc., but not for weapons development. True. And then there is the plutonium alternative to make a bomb too. So there is one heavy water <laughs> reactor at Iraq. They've been ordered to get rid of the core of the bomb or what is called the pit and that there will be no other heavy water reactor to be built for the next 15 years. So what this reactor basically does is now plutonium is very quickly try to understand. I'm trying to put this in words. So there <laughs> this are two is going to be fun. <laughs> okay. So okay. uranium, you know, we are talking about enrichment at one side and plutonium and all of that. So uranium, it occurs in these underground deposits very naturally and only 0.7% of it can be fissioned very easily. You need to enrich it and bring it up to 90% for it to be used to make an atomic bomb. And then when you combine it with plutonium, it forms a pit. It's, plutonium is like the icing on the cake for these terrorists. So if you have that, it just increases the capacity of the bomb. And, right. and plutonium, plutonium is not found naturally. So it is produced in a nuclear reactor through absorption of neutrons by uranium. So never mind that. Let me, let me say that again. <laughs> it is, it, 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 so it needs to undergo some something in a nuclear reactor. And what comes out is nuclear fuel. And plutonium is part of that nuclear fuel along with other radioactive stuff. So now you've got to reprocess this to remove the wheat from the shaft, as they say. You've got to get the plutonium out of this uh, nuclear fuel for which you have this reprocessing plant. And here in this case was the one, the heavy water reactor at Iraq. Now these Iranians, they had all possible ways to build a nuclear bomb in just three months. And now the, the so-called breakout period will come down to 10 to 12 months. So neighboring countries like Israel and also in general the world will now be a little more relieved that they can't just do it overnight or in three months. So that's that's that. I will stop my rant. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, this was like you know this back in the day in the economics paper they used to just <laughs> mug up stuff right without understanding what it really is and then. It's not just me, by the way, my friend. The <laughs> Americans, there's such a lot of technical stuff through those few nights in Switzerland that Americans sent in two of their nuclear physicists 
and their job was not to convert stuff in layman's terms and explain it to the politicians on their side but they were given the role and the power of a negotiator so nuclear physicists negotiated directly with iran in this case so no this will not do this will do there was i think it, i read somewhere on the telegraph that from 5 am to 1 am there was a 6 hour period where they spoke stuff that even if the journalists were in the room they would not have understood any of it they went down to that technicality yeah yeah i mean you lost me at plutonium <laughs> so you you are not alone okay so that is what iran is going is supposed to do what are the other people supposed to be what is the other side of the negotiation table going to do so meaning uh, the, the us do they are going to be lifting these sanctions they are going to allow iran to be part of the global economy as much as other players but this will happen in a very phased manner as and when iran starts keeping its promises the biggest threat is that iran has been a very you know it lies nice. things yeah, are real exactly. because they declared two of its biggest yeah. facilities in fordo and natans is what i read only after western intelligence found out about them so they didn't come up with them voluntarily when they had signed an agreement to do so up until february 19th iaea reported this and i quote that it remains concerned about the possible existence of undisclosed nuclear related activities including activities related to development of uh, the atomic bomb <laughs> only a month back wow yeah it's it's got a few things to do with india too india is said to benefit from the whole deal until 2006 iran was india's second largest crude supplier now it's down to number 7 last month for the first time in a decade we did not import anything from iran because we have to import only limited quantities keeping in mind the ceiling limit that america and other countries have set we also owe them 8.8 billion dollars and we are figuring out how to pay them because iran has been cut off from the financial system from the swift transaction system that is supposed to be the single most important item yeah. that the remaining countries are going to be doing for iran is reestablish all the financial transactions or the the infrastructure that iran did not have access to but india has a jugadu solution to this you remember the hawala scandal yeah. they they are doing a hawala authorized hawala with a little bit of a twist so india how does india pay iran is so whatever india owes to iran it will deposit in indian rupees in an indian bank and then mm. it will export goods worth that amount to iran and start deducting that amount from that bank so there is a like a passbook or like a prepaid mobile this this sounds like the mob yes hawala with a twist so yeah india has got a few things at stake yeah let's see how that goes and as we said earlier 30th june is the deadline for uh, the p5 plus 1 to come to an agreement at the same time there is another crisis that has come up and this time it's in yemen and um, there are around 4000 indian workers out there including businessmen and nurses working in yemen many of them are from the state of kerala due to this big civil war like crisis that is happening in yemen the indian navy was forced into action to evacuate all the indians out of yemen yes and not just indians a total of 6680 odd people from 48 countries were evacuated it was called the operation rahat yeah as you said ships were deployed six a total of six ships were deployed ins mumbai ins tarkash ins sumitra which patrols the gulf of aden or yep. aden i don't know how they pronounce it aden oh, yeah 
Yes, Army, Navy, Air Force, Control Room, External Affairs, Ministry, all of them got together and there was a live feed that was being beamed back to the control room and one of the Navy officers said that it was more like, it was much like a Hollywood movie where you could actually count the people that were moving on the screen in minute by minute detail. So one of the satellites was repositioned to allow for this to happen. It was the second biggest evacuation after in India's history after uh, Libya, which we had done in 2011, where 15,000 people were evacuated. So big, big deal and not much of the media, by the way, has spoken about has this. covered this thing, right? Yeah, nobody has actually spoken about this thing. In fact, the Minister of State for External Affairs, V.K. Singh, who is the ex-general of Indian Army, he was there. He had set up his base in Djibouti. He was hands-on with uh, overseeing these operations happening. And he had also vis- he also visited uh, the city of Sana, which is the largest Yemeni city. The Indian contingent is the only is the largest contingent that has been alerted the most number of air sorties, as they call it, that is airplanes taking off from the city of Sana. They have managed to fly out twice in the last two days carrying a bunch of Indians. And these are not your passenger aircraft. These are military aircraft that are flying off. And survivors have reached uh, Mumbai and Kochi. Yes, and he said in an interview that the first batch was the most difficult one because you didn't know what to expect. Yeah. So there were 349 people who were you know, evacuated from there and there was a gun battle at the port and the immigration officers had abandoned their posts. So it was the Indian naval forces who secured the perimeter and then they got INS Sumitra into action and they got the lifeboats out while there was gun battle happening around. And, for, and in the last batch of uh, survivors, Saudi Arabia by then had started bombing Yemen. They gave permission to fly over Sana only for two and a half hours every day. You had to segregate passengers from Kochi, Mumbai, paperwork, exit visas. All of this it was done in, in quick time. Big, big operation. Yeah, I was surprised as to how low profile this whole incident has been and probably most likely by design. So this actually took me back to what is happening in Yemen. Why did the fighting start, first of all? So what I found out is that for a long time, for the longest time, Yemen existed as two separate countries. One is the Yemen Arab Republic, which is in the north, and the other one is the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen, which is, of course, in the south. However, in 1990s, these two countries chose to unify and create the Republic of Yemen. But as it were, people from the south began complaining of political and economic disparities or representation in the government in Sana. And so a civil war started in 1994 to undo the unification. Since then, it has always been in an unstable position. And plus, there has been weak governance, corruption and all those sort of things. Oh, that's big, isn't it? I mean, there's a Shia militia called Houthis that has occupied Sana, and it is led by Yemen's former president. His name is Ali Abdullah Saleh. When he was a president, uh, Houthis were his enemies. Now he's joined hands with them, and what they want to do is get rid of the legitimate president at the moment, whose name, who's got a long name, which is surname Hadi. Let's just say, let's call him Hadi, and he's backed by Abdrabu Mansur Hadi. That is right. And, and he's backed by Saudi Arabia. So now Saudi Arabia wants to bomb Yemen because there are countries around it with a lot of Shia dominance. Now, the yeah. Shias and Sunnis, we've, we know it the comes two down sects. To Shia right? and Sunni. Yes. Nine out of ten Muslims in the world are Sunnis. Saudi Arabia is predominantly a Sunni nation. It looks around and it sees in Iraq, the Baghdad government led by Shias. In Yemen, then you have Syria, quite a few countries there. It's got Shia led 
authority. So they wanted to get rid of that. It, it formed a coalition. It called in Egypt, Qatar, UAE, Morocco, even Pakistan. They said, tell us how we can help you to reduce Iran's power around in that region. So basically, Iran is helping Houthis and Saudi Arabia doesn't like it. And it's all complicated, man. There are four civil wars going in Arab, Yemen, Iraq, Syria. The funny part is, look at America, all right? They're, they're in an interesting position. In Yemen, America provides Iran with ground intelligence and logistic support. In Iraq, they are happy to have Iran call the shots because they want a stable government there. In Syria, there is this President Bashar al-Bashar, who is a genocide master. So there, again, Iran is supporting Syria, but America doesn't want to do anything with it. And at the same time, America is a country which has imposed sanctions on Iran all these years. And we just spoke about that, that deal, which hopefully will get through. And John Kerry is the external affairs minister there, right? So he has spent maximum amount of time with his Iranian counterpart in the whole of 2014, when officially they don't even have any diplomatic relations. So that is Iran's influence. So basically to, to reduce Iran's influence in the region is where Yemen comes in. And it's the poorest country. It's got only 0.2% of the world's output. It was a joke in the Friends episode when Chandler goes to Yemen. The Yemen is that kind of a country where you don't even know what's happening there. And yet the biggest trump card or the importance lies in that little strait, a 39-kilometer stretch called... The Gulf of Eden. Yes, the Gulf of Adel or the Bab El Mandeb. It's a choke point where 3.8 million barrels of oil and petroleum products have flown every day back in 2013. And there is no direct route. So if you've got to go to Asia, so the ships that carry oil from Europe and North Africa will have to do a big roundabout. By the time yeah. they reach Asian markets, we'll have a few stock markets going bust. So they don't want, want that. So that's why... Everybody wants that region to be stable and Saudi Arabia, which is usually shy and doesn't get into military stuff, they've gotten into it this time. All of this comes from whatever little that we've read around. So please take it that way. <laughs> Abhishek is on fire today. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we are not in the thick of things there, but this is what people are talking about. You missed out on two points. We did not mention the Yemen's affiliate jihadist group of the Islamic State, they are also creating problems in this. And then also Al-Qaeda, which IS is looking to basically play upon or reduce Al-Qaeda's impact. So there are these terrorists are fighting, terrorist countries are fighting, countries, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a whole mess. I wonder how these agreements or any of these things get done in that region. And by the way, the Israelis haven't reacted kindly to this Iran deal that is happening. So mm -hmm. they have lashed out at, uh, they had no idea about this deal happening. And, and Israel is a country which doesn't want to say whether or not it has a nuclear bomb. Maybe, yeah. maybe not, is what the stand is. So do we, <laughs> yeah, that, and, and you, you spoke uh, about well. all these terrorist groups. Ali Abdullah Saleh, the former president of Yemen, who is now with the Houthis, he said that governing this country is like dancing on a snake of, uh, head of snakes because it's got Al-Qaeda and its so-called deadliest branch is Arabian Peninsula Al-Qaeda. Yeah, AQ, so, AQAP or something like ah, that. Ah, right. So it's got many, many tribes, this peninsula, uh, northern and southern insurgencies. ISIS also wants to stake claim in this area because they basically want to rule the world. They want to create a caliphate. And then, like you said, you have countries like uh, Saudi Arabia fighting Iran. And uh, uh, well. Yes. And what about Yemen? A country which has, you can only live up to your 63. Electricity supply less than 50% of the people. Water supply less than 50%. Infant mortality rate, 38 people out of 1,000 kids die. So 
it was a big big deal for the indian government to get indians and other you know people from other countries back to their respective soils so much so that people have sued the american government not to have done Do this to its own 3000 to 4000 americans were stranded there it was russians who came in and uh, bailed them out i don't know why america didn't come in they said that it will be too risky for us to intervene at this stage and all that but that's what's happening out there in yemen as you are going through all these i what i have been thinking is how do i transition from this topic to our next one which is about <laughs> uber launching the uber auto service in delhi there is no way to go from yemen to uber offering rickshaw services in delhi yeah let's not even try so what is it that they are doing so you can now call an auto using your uber app and you can pay the auto guy in cash which makes this thing look like a customer acquisition strategy more than anything and hope that they will then start using taxis the uber app for taxis etc but this this comes with an assumption right that rickshaws will be metered let's say this thing is there all across india even ola is trying that in chennai pune auto drivers i wonder if they would want to sign up yeah but you don't have to pay based on what the fare shown in uber app is unlike what they do for taxis you still have to pay in cash which is basically whatever the auto rickshaw guy asks you for this is just a app to call an auto the best thing is in P- where, where you don't have meters like in pune where i used to visit quite often when you ask the meter ni chala they just look back at you <laughs> saying yeah, exactly naya hai kya <laughs> oh do i know we are digressing a little bit but just very quickly in bangalore this happened i know a little bit of kannada so i was talking to this auto rickshaw guy i, I wanted to go to x xyz place all right so i asked him new kormangala ge yes tagotira how much for to go to kormangala so he gives me a number Uh, and he says aivattu uh, all right he says aivattu and i have no idea what aivattu is so <laughs> because i wanted to sound that i'm local he doesn't fleece me and all that yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so i i and he's he's waiting for me to give him a counter offer and i don't know what aivattu is so i said aivattu i said aivattu is basically 50 all right and aivattu and i wait for his counter counter offer to this counter offer he says aivattu agate sir i mean it's aivattu man don't do, it's 50 bucks man don't push me any further i said i la la i said no 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 and he says okay okay 40 Then in the end he tells me, I know you are not from around here, but I was just playing you. <laughs> so I was I was wondering if if with the because I still think that this Uber cab or I think even at, at least for Ola when they launched it in India, the assumption is that they will be taking the local fare only, so that there will be some standardization. And I wonder how it will work because in Delhi, if the fare is twenty three, you give them thirty, they'll just take the seven rupees a tip. In Gurgaon, it happened to me a few days back. In Mumbai. on the other hand if it's uh, 23 you give them 20 they say 3 rupees rakh lo saab nahi rahega do every state is so much has its own nuances absolutely yes. bad and ola by the way i will leave the stage for you to react to this now ola just <laughs> got yeah 400 million dollars of funding 3 days back and now it is valued uh, at 2.5 billion dollars and among the top 3 most valuable companies in india and it's got a lakh one lakh drivers today you know by 2017 it wants to go to 1 million wow. drivers the cab market along with the e-commerce i think you can put them also in e-commerce right because yeah, this, this is about right? this is about transacting online yeah this is all about the certain niches that take off just because they have taken off in in the west i think it started with travel sites expedia took off then of course make my trip got funded e-commerce took off in the us now we are we saw e-commerce boom uber 
has been funded like crazy and all this yeah. sort of things the same thing is now happening ola has now launched you know food delivery services the founder he says that his vision is people should not find the need to own a car there is another car rental company called carzon rent india private limited it acquired another carpooling service for an undisclosed amount and it's going to be earning 6000 crore in the next 5 years according to their plan so so wow. many i mean many deals happening and there is this company called izigo which i really love it compares flight tickets and hotel tickets it has sneaked in uh, in this domain of car rentals it has launched an app that helps you compare cab fares so if you are standing here in thane where i am right now in lokpuram it will tell you meru cab is 3 minutes away ola is 5 minutes away but the uh, meru is charging 100 bucks to get you to this place and this thing is only 80 so you can go with the best option so it's come down to that here is another brilliant idea let's create an app that will aggregate the information that aggregators have aggregated <laughs> i wonder if somebody has thought about it and wondering scratching their heads as to how to pull this off you know how to pull this off anyways well best of luck to them and best of luck to by the way yuvraj singh he has also launched a startup fund <laughs> yes. now he has become a venture capitalist Yeah but that is brilliant i think that is brilliant on his side oh i thought i'll just throw this in as a random transition but you've been reading you've been reading your news <laughs> right yes. so yes you we can ventures technology that's what he's founded and it's uh, angel investing not these big private equity kinds of 400 crore etc he'll give you 10 to 25 lakh rupees to young entrepreneurs who want to get started the first check so that's yuvraj singh for you so far he's getting 15 crores for an ipl so he's making some good use of his money I know so what has IPL been up to I have no idea I have not been watching it except that I saw one picture of Pollard from Mumbai Indians running into bowl with a duct tape on his mouth and he did that because the umpire asked him to shut up there was a not so symbolic gesture to run into bowl wearing that and Harpreet Singh is a captain so he said okay Pollard go for it <laughs> do what <you> like. <laughs> so yeah oh, this is T20 oh <laughs> paise kamao ghar jao incidentally england is playing west indies in west indies right now test cricket and pollard and a bunch of other west indians are playing the ipl yeah, so that's yeah. what it's come down to priorities so talking about internet let's talk about mm-hmm. this very funny story about the varanasi the city of varanasi is facing a very tough internet problem hmm and there has been disruption in the internet cities in the very same constituency which is which modi has won so modi is elected from the city of varanasi and he cannot deliver on uninterrupted internet services in varanasi how can that be abhishek why is that my friend <laughs> because apparently monkeys are chewing off the fiber optic cables in varanasi and no i'm not joking this is really what has been reported yes. is that how do you how do you pronounce this breed of monkeys makaki let's makaki let's go with monkeys. that Huh, Makaki, Makaki monkeys are the a very unlikely roadblock in the development of internet services in the northern indian city of varanasi that's right and i love mit it writes it starts its article like this you can harden fiber optic internet cabling against heat ice flooding mold and even crushing pressures but apparently not monkeys not <laughs> the kind in varanasi because they've laid these cables along the ganga river because they could not bury them so the monkeys apparently like plastic or they have a little bit of a fancy towards this practical problem you can't get rid of the monkeys because they are considered sacred by people living there you can't exactly move these temples they can't be modified and who would have thought india's aim to lay 700000 kilometers of 
broadband cable they would have had these long business plans as to how do we do this how do we make this happen and monkeys unlikely roadblock as you said nobody factored in the monkey problem fire the program manager i also i also figured out there is another place where these macaque monkeys are creating havoc which is the parliament in delhi and i am not talking about in the parliament but mm-hmm. outside because they create a lot of havoc out there so as a solution what was done is to introduce langurs oh. in the campus parliament All campus right. so that they chase away these macaque monkeys however there have been animal right activists that have come up and said that no 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 you cannot use real langurs to keep these monkeys away because uh, away from the parliament complex because it is considered to be cruel because these monkeys were kept in captivity so far and as a solution to that indian jugad the parliament has hired 40 young people 40 people yeah. <laughs> that go that go around the parliament campus making langur noises wow <laughs> amazing and how does a langur noise sound like do you know <laughs> that's the soundscape for the day ladies and gentlemen we <laughs> do that again <laughs> you know why i know this no because i have because yeah. i have an app on my phone It's a flashcard app for mm. my kid, right? And he loves the monkey noise. <laughs> I can play uh, that for you. I'll have to look for it. But yeah, do it again, and we consider that to be the soundscape <laughs> of this episode. Ah uh, well, you waiting, mock me, my friend. Waiting, I'm waiting. No, no, that's. <laughs> that's oh, brilliant! And somebody else has also tried a little, a similar strategy in Wimbledon. There is this Rufus the hawk. It keeps the pigeons away. It's an important member of the Wimbledon family. You don't want pigeons interfering when Sam. Oh, why yeah. am I saying Sampras? I'm still Sampras. Djokovic plays. You uh, just you know, whatever, Nadal or. So yeah, using animals to get rid of animals. So their animal right activists did not create a problem, but they're a bit more rational out there. Okay, so those were the topics that we had. So the pictures. So we have received pictures again. And by the way, I'm posting all the pictures on our website. Okay. just to let everyone know so you can go and check out the pictures if you are interested in uh, there are two pictures the first one was sent by avinash and um, he is driving down looking into the rainbow as the and there is a rainbow in the picture listening to episode number 2004 so thanks a lot avi for sending that to us that picture should be up and the other picture is from nirav from toronto and he has sent us pictures of the modi event that happened in the rico colosseum he has sent us nice panoramic pictures of before the event had started and also of modi delivering the speech thanks a lot for that we also have from one from ashok picture from a moving train on the way to work nice greenery around and cool thanks a lot ashok and we did not receive any soundscape this time so guys if you are in an interesting place please do record the sounds around you and send it to us and keep the pictures coming we love them yes indicast at the indicast.com that's the email address let's remind people about what the pictures were about so wherever you are listening to this episode right now whatever is in front of you send us a picture of that you know it gives us a peek into your life which is interesting anything else abhishek yeah you can find us on facebook uh, just type indicast there and we're also on twitter at indicast you can find aditya at ac matre and i'm at abhishek kumar with a single k uh do you feel comfortable making a pitch for donations abhishek oh oh well, that's mouth watering proposition 
<laughs> yes, so we do have. So I'm just I'm just going to leave it out there, you know, easily. Um, there is a donation button on our website. If do you we deserve it though. Do, do Do you think we should be doing one every week? We are doing one every nine days. Better than one every four months. Yeah, <laughs> one every nine months. Donate. There is a PayPal button as Aditya was about to mention on our website, theindicas.com. Yeah, you can scroll down. It's at the bottom. <laughs> yes, we've made it very user friendly. Yes. You need to find us. <laughs> you need to find that link on our page. And I think after that PayPal takes over, hopefully it won't be too much of a trouble for you to do this. So, do it. <laughs> Please. Please, yes. Uh, that's about it, guys. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Bye-bye.